Well, not the postseason the James Madison women's basketball team wanted to be part of, but they are indeed going to play in the postseason. Welcome in. Today is Tuesday, March 19th. This is another edition of the Rocktown Sports Pod by the Daily News Record. My name is Greg Madea. I'm the JMU football beat writer at the paper, host of the podcast, and I have Shane Metlin with me now to talk a little bit about, I guess you could call it a disaster, disappointment. What's what's the right adjective to describe the state of the James Madison women's basketball team that had such a great season, regular season, kind of go for naught? Yeah, disappointment, shocked. Yeah, it was a pretty surprising uh, weekend for them. Uh, just, you know, they had played through Kamaya Small's injury the weekend before and gotten through it, but you could kind of just see the looks on their face when Lexi Barrier went down in the opening minute of the conference tournament that there was more of a panic situation going on there that, you know, that was kind of like, what's happening? How can this keep happening? And she was in so much pain. I think that too was uh, kind of a shocking thing and they never, never were able to recover from that. Yeah, it was a 25-win regular season for the Dukes. They are in the top over top seed, number one seed in the Colonial Athletic Association Women's Tournament. Uh, looked like they'd probably have a cakewalk to the championship game. Uh, ran into ninth-seeded Hofstra. Hofstra won the game 57-50, but no smalls. And as Shane just said, lost Lexi Barrier in the opening minute. That, for, for the way Sean's team, Sean O'Regan, the coach's team, plays, to not have that go-to scorer or to try to turn somebody into a go-to scorer that's not, it makes the game plan, the style of play, really tough to, to perfect, correct? Yeah, and the big thing, they have another scorer, um, you know, the sixth player of the year in the conference. Benitez. Jackie Benitez, yeah, she's a double-figure scorer for them coming off the bench and a great shooter. She happened to have a three for 27 afternoon in that game. Um, and, you know, you kind of wonder if that was one of those things where it just snowballed, you know, she misses a couple shots. They turn the ball over a few times and it just, you know, they start to see things go south and then you start forcing some shots and, you don't believe your shots are going to go in when you've believed your shots are going to go in all year. And just, you know, it was not the same team out there. It was not the same look in their eyes. It was not the same anything in that game. Yeah, you were you were in the building uh, at, at Delaware. The tournament was up at, up in Newark, Delaware. What was kind of the, the atmosphere in the arena as things started to transpire? What were the JMU fans looking like at, at the time that it looked like it was not going to go well? Did JMU respond at all? How would you kind of assess just the atmosphere in the arena as you had this nine seed trying to slay the top seed and, and eventually did? Um, the arena kind of went dead, you know, to be honest. You know, JMU played hard the entire game. You can't really fault their effort or anything. But there were, you know, a good number of JMU fans who came up 
for that game. I saw them for the know, weekend. Yeah, and you know, I you know ran into several of them checking into my hotel. It was you know they were ready for you know a long weekend and to watch them cut down the nets on Saturday. You know, there's a there's a hardcore group of women's basketball fans in this town, and uh, they were up there. They were ready to go, and they were just it was just kind of silencing for them. You know, kind of stunned to see their whole plan go to go to the wayside there. Um, but Jane, you continued to play hard, and it really wasn't until probably the I don't know last five minutes of the game that the smattering of Hofstra fans kind of throughout the building um, that they started to really kind of pick up that oh, this might actually happen. So that's kind of how it unfolded from Shane's perspective. Shane was there. Yeah, leave it there, and you probably thought what everyone else thought was that not a very good chance of making the NCAA tournament. That didn't happen. Selection Monday was yesterday. The Dukes were one of the first four out, uh, but not in. And that's, that's the bottom line, whether you're, you're first out, last out, whatever. Uh, not in the tournament. Instead, they'll play in the WNIT your reaction just in terms of knowing James Madison's injury situation with Smalls and Barrier, the circumstance of what the committee looks at, and sometimes injuries are included, sometimes a conference tournament game is included. Uh, in most mid-major cases, it is. Uh, in, in James Madison's case, it wasn't. Towson went on to win the CAA, so they have the CAA's automatic bid. Just in terms of, of how they, the committee and how everything unfolded from that standpoint in, in James Madison's chances at an at-large bid. Um, well, it sounds like that uh, CAA commissioner, Joe D'Antonio, talked with the committee, kind of filled them in, made sure they were aware of the entire injury situation, and that the Hofstra game itself probably was not considered really? strongly by the committee, um, that they kind of gave them a mulligan on that loss. But then you also kind of have to wonder then, do they take into account what those players' availability may or may not be going forward because, you know, you kind of have to look at it James Madison's ways. a much different team yes. without Barrier and Smalls, clearly. Yes. And Barrier, um, I don't know if uh, the commissioner of the selection committee was aware of this at the time, but her hand is broken in three places. She's done. She's not going to play this season again. Um, Kamaya, Smalls, they're holding her out for the opening round of the NIT. I don't know if they would hold her out for an NCAA tournament game, but, you know, that's... But that would be very much up in the air how much she would play, how much of a factor she would be if she would play at all going to the NCAA tournament. So they'd probably also take that into consideration. But even if you take that Hofstra game out, what ends up happening for JMU is they have one less opportunity for a qual- one or two less opportunities for a quality win, you know, going in. You know, they're expecting to play, you know, two more games uh, against you know, teams with better resumes than Hofstra. Uh, that didn't happen. They also had some bad losses, you know, frankly. They're, they lost to Hampton in November in the game. They kind of just... Can't happen. Yeah, and they kind of... They had a 15-point lead in that game. They kind of just, um, you know, one of those things, I think maybe it was, if I remember correctly, that was shortly before Thanksgiving. I wonder if they were maybe in their minds already on their road home before the game actually ended, and, you know, they let that happen, and... You know, that probably kept them out of the NCAA tournament, to be honest, that game. Um, that was a bad loss. Um, they didn't have any kind of real marquee wins. They had solid wins. They were 5-1 and one against the quad 1-2 and two 
but most of those wins were in the like 70 to 100 range. What, two against Drexel, yeah. St. John's? Yeah. Oh, actually, um, Georgetown is Georgetown. Georgetown. a good one. No, but I was going to get to that. That um, You know, the way they schedule, they schedule aggressively every year. Um, they play Power Five and you know, Big East teams frequently. Um, it just sort of happened this year. They played a really good Maryland team, but Wake Forest was down. Yeah. St. John's out of the Big East was down. They were out of the top 100. Whereas last year, with a little bit less experienced group, they played several top 25 teams in the non-conference. They played Florida State. They played Rutgers. They lost those games. But, you know, you kind of wonder if maybe they'd have got a chance at you know, a top 20, top 30 type team this year if they could have gotten that marquee win to kind of push them over the top. But they, they just, you know, the schedule, way scheduling works out for a mid-major team, that's how it went this year. Yeah, unfortunate. What's the frustration level with the players in the program, with Sean, knowing that they'd pretty much done everything right? I mean, aside from the Hampton game, as you mentioned, but they'd pretty much done everything right up until that point where really injuries were the problem. I mean, they were the hottest team maybe in women's college basketball going into their own conference tournament, uh, I guess just in terms of the conference they're in. Um, but just, you look at that, and, and they were set up for 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 an easy 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 walk uh, to the to the NCAA tournament had they not suffered so many injuries. Yeah, I don't know if I'd even like call it frustration. It was it was a lot of sadness yeah. just among them. You feel like you waste a year, game. right? You feel like you waste the whole year. Yeah, and you know they had played so well for so many weeks going into that. I feel like. You know, they, they kind of took it on the chin when they played at Maryland early in the season. I kind of feel like they felt like going into the NCAA tournament, you know, they would have had a chance to beat a team of that quality. That they were a much better team than they were in December. Um, and, you know, it's hard to argue with that. You know, they weren't playing, like we said, they weren't playing like the greatest schedule, but they were beating teams who, you know, Drexel was never going to get into the NCAA tournament, but... You can argue that they're an NCAA caliber team. That's fair. You, you know, you know if they were able to play. You know, the kind of schedule. You know, if they were in the Big East or something, they might have been on a bubble. Um, and they play those teams and they handle them easily. They handle some good, talented teams quite easily um, all year long. And you know, to see it kind of just completely unravel over the course of a week, it, it was it was just kind of unlike anything. I've seen in a long time. Yeah, disappointment for James Madison women's basketball for sure. It'll be interesting to see how they react come Friday because they do have a WNIT game another year in the WNIT. They're, they're no strangers to this tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean O'Regan's teams have played in it. Uh, so you look at that, and their opponent is North Carolina A&T. That's a 7 p.m. tip on Friday at the combo, correct? Yes. Yeah, they just announced that earlier today at the tip-off time. Uh, they will play at home. Uh, they'll play without Kamaya Smalls and uh, Lexi Barrier. Um, I think they're hoping they can advance and get Kamaya back um, for later rounds. But that was also what they were hoping for the uh, CAA tournament, too, and it didn't quite work out. But a little more prep time to uh, go with the group they know they have this time around. i got to ask, what takes the WNIT so long to put the bracket out? I'm sure you were sitting there last night going... Come on, come on. Especially since the women's NCA bracket got leaked at like 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, I don't know for sure what happened. A guess is that maybe teams who had bid to host found out they couldn't host on certain nights or something like that. And 
things had to be like rearranged a little bit would be my only guess because they knew the teams that were in the field much sooner um, than the actual bracket and pairings got announced. Now we, we don't we don't have to break down JMU uh, North Carolina A and T, but I will ask you what are some other teams on JMU side of the bracket? Some potential matchups. I know there's some intriguing ones that you you were texting with me about the other night. Yeah, if they can uh, advance, it could be a fun tournament for uh, JMU fans. Uh, if they get past North Carolina A and T, they will get the winner of Stetson and South Florida, which. You know, South Florida is kind of, you know, a name program, and that would be a fun game. Uh, and I would think they would have a good chance of hosting that one. They'll put in a bid for that. Uh, but this it's the third round there. It gets fun. Um, they'd have either VC, potentially either VCU or uh, Virginia Tech. You would think those are two, the two favorites to get that far. Um, you know, VCU, old conference rival who, you know, Sean O'Regan will tell you he tries to get on the schedule every really? year, and huh. they have not wanted to play since uh, leaving the CAA. Um, and obviously, Kenny Brooks, uh, the longtime JMU coach, is now at Virginia Tech. Uh, that would be their first time facing each other. Um, That'd be interesting if JMU yeah. put in a bid. Can I bid Virginia Tech for that game? Because I'm sure the JMU folks would love to have Kenny Brooks back at the convo. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think um, Virginia Tech will probably also put in a strong bid for that. Um, but you, you, I'm sure you would see a pretty strong contingent of purple-clad fans driving down to Blacksburg for that one, too. Yeah, for sure. So, so at least there's some appeal to... Uh, certain matchups with the WNIT, uh, for, from at least a fan standpoint, you, you still don't know how the players are going to react to being in WNIT. It's kind of like you know uh, that that football team that uh, gets to a bowl game, but not quite the bowl game they wanted to after losing a conference championship. Yeah. Uh, that, that that's kind of what it feels like to me. But uh, some teams respond well, other teams don't, uh, and and it'll be it'll be fascinating to see how they respond. Uh, anything else that, that you needed to to hit on here with the women's basketball program. Anything else that, that you think is important for, for our listeners to know? No, I think that pretty much covers it with the women's team. They, you know, it was kind of a shocking, crashing weekend for them, and things really turned on a dime. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're looking to move forward. Another program at JMU, and we're, me and Shane are going to kind of touch on a few different JMU sports here uh, before I bring in Cody and Jim uh, to talk some high school stuff, and then before all four of us get together, talk a little NCAA tournament, uh, talk a little brackets uh, a little bit later on, but uh, I want to get to the men's basketball program with you, Shane. Uh, Jeff Bourne released a statement, kind of a, a thumbs up to Lou Rowe for another year. I guess that's that's how I interpreted it. Uh, what's kind of the reaction there? I know we spent some weeks uh, over the last couple months really uh, talking whether or not Lou Rowe would be back uh, for another season at James Madison. He's going to have that chance. Uh, do you see this as kind of the the you better get it right or you're, or you're done? Yeah, I mean, I sat down with uh, Lou yesterday we talked for a while and you know even he's you know kind of saying you know i get one more year and you know whether he meant that exactly the way it came out i mean i think we're all on the same page they everybody knows there needs to be a winning season next year and, for sure yeah and he's you know show some improvement with the group that he has coming back which is you know four starters several key bench players plus you know one of the you know most exciting recruiting classes that they've had coming in here for a while. Do you think it was the right move by Bourne? I think so. 
you know, um, there, I think there are some potentially solid candidates who might have been interested in a JMU job had it come open, but you're always taking a risk. You're always kind of starting over. You do that. You know the players are on board with Lou. And I, I would be shocked if there's like any kind of mass transfers or anything. Like you're you're seeing guys kind of uh, jumping ship at UNC Wilmington right now, and William and Mary after they fired their coach and things. And I, I would be surprised if there's like any big time exodus here, other than maybe you know one or two guys may say I don't know where my playing time's going to come from here. But it's not people unhappy with the coach or the system, or you know they all love Lou. Um, I I think it makes sense to bring him back, let him get another shot at this. Um, there was some improvement this year. It was frustrating because you felt like they could have won four or five more games. Things went bad. They, you know, they didn't play well against some teams that, you know, frankly were not very good. The Citadel, Fordham ended up being like a pretty bad team. Um, but then, you know, they got three wins against top 100 teams, which they haven't done here in a long time. They won four more games than they did the year before. Overall, you know, there's. Overall, it was, you know, a baby step forward when people maybe wanted to see a jump forward, but it was a step forward. Yeah, so Lewis Rowe coming back to the JMU men's basketball program. On the lacrosse side, I know I know you'll be busy covering them now that women's basketball is slowing down, uh, and, and there's there's an end in sight. Uh, lacrosse team has a couple of top 25 opponents, Virginia and Maryland, What's your kind of take there, and, and what do you kind of see the challenges for, for JMU over the next two games? Uh, it's going to be a little bit tougher stretch than they've had. You know, it'll be kind of getting back to that uh, top, you know, 20-type program. They started the year off against uh, North Carolina, and they didn't play very well in the season opener, but they've been steadily improving as the season's gone on. Um, you know, this is not the national championship team that they had last year. They, last year... That was a senior class that had built, Vet- veteran built to that, yeah. you know, over several years, and you could see midway through the season that like, oh, this is a team that can make a really deep run in the NCAA tournament. Um, they're good this year. They're legitimate, you know, top twenty, top fifteen. They'll be in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and they're they're still ranked in the top ten, which may be you know accurate, but you're going to find out a little bit more about them, you know, this week. Um, they. They kind of took it on the chin, I'm told, in a you know scrimmage against UVA in the fall, and you know some of the players that said that that was kind of like a wake up call in the fall that you know they were, you know, needing to improve on certain areas. Um, but they've been playing really good defense all year. Um, it'll be just kind of being able to control possession of the ball will be a big thing in these next two games because that was what they couldn't do against the uh, against UNC. So James Madison women's lacrosse they have. Their big test this week, the James Madison baseball team, they had their big test this past weekend, kind of the second of two uh, mm-hmm. tougher tests for the James Madison baseball team. Earlier this month, they were swept at Louisville. This past weekend, went out to Cal State Fullerton, a team that's been in the NCAA tournament every year since 1992. That's pretty uh, unfathomable, that, that, that stretch. Uh, but Jamie took two of three out there uh, from the Titans, and then now they're sitting at 14-6. and six. Uh, they have Fairfield today, tomorrow. Uh, they're probably probably getting us ready to play Fairfield as we speak right now. Uh, and then uh, they'll open up CA play this weekend with Delaware. But the reason I bring up Jamie Baseball is because I spoke with Marlon Eikenberry over the phone yesterday. 
uh, on the heels of, of him getting back uh, from the West Coast trip. They took a red-eye flight back, got into, I think, Dulles or one of the D.C. area airports, and then had a nice bus ride back to Harrisonburg. Didn't get in until about, I don't know, 8, 9, 8, 30, 9 o'clock yesterday morning. So uh, busy times for Jamie Baseball, but caught up with Ike and Barry. Uh, and then as I wrote in my story in this morning's paper, uh, certainly a little jet lag and <laughs> didn't damper his enthusiasm. So here's my conversation with James Madison baseball coach Marlon Eikenberry. You take two of three from Cal State Fullerton. You guys pitched it well uh, Friday and Saturday. Uh, I guess just, just kind of simply, what did you like uh, that you guys were able to do out there in, in Fullerton? Well, I mean, Kevin Kelly did an outstanding job of, of just getting into the game and you know, he really he really pitched well and he handed the ball off to Shelton Perkins and he, he struck out six of the first I think he struck out six of the first seven batters he faced. Um, you know, he really set the tone and he was electric and, and really kinda kept the momentum on our side. We played really good defense out there. Um, I was a little nervous going out because we had not played a game on a natural surface. So I didn't know how, you know, with our young infielders how that would, you know, correlate, but obviously you know, our guys, they played really great defense, and Trey Dabney had a great weekend for us. Um, you know, I was really proud of how we competed. You know, we took a, you know, we took, a, took, a, took us all the way out west, and, uh, you know, playing for a perennial powerhouse like that, in that, that environment, you know, I think guys were more excited about the warm weather than, than who we were playing, but, uh, you know, we uh, we just really played really well. And then Saturday's game was another really close game, um, you know, Nick, Nick Stewart came out and threw five innings. I thought he, I thought, I thought he was just, I thought he got hit a little bit. When I say hit a little bit, I thought, I thought they hit the balls hard off him that we caught. Um, but he, he maintained his composure and, and really pitched well for five innings. And then we gave the ball to Brett Air um, in the middle innings there, and Brett did his thing and handed the ball off to Nick Roberts and closed the door. And it was really nice to kind of extend the lead. Trey hit a home run to extend the lead in the middle, in the middle of the game. And you know, I just. Yeah, I was. I thought we. I thought we did some really nice things. I thought there were some things that we need to work on as well. And you know, uh, it was the first time all year that we had played three three games in three days, which I was really happy to do that. Um, because we hadn't done it all year, and we're opening up this conference this weekend where we're going to play a three day three game series. Yeah, that, that 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 definitely is true. And Cal State Fullerton's really, uh, you know, like you said, a, a powerhouse. And I, I guess. I guess since you guys were swept at, at Louisville earlier this month, you've really kind of bounced back nicely. I think seven of nine, you guys have won. Uh, what was kind of your message to the to the, to the players after that that tough series at Louisville? Uh, and, and do you like how they've responded? I guess since then. Well, I just think the biggest thing is staying with the course. I mean, uh, you know, we we work really hard. We we constantly you know preach the the process of, of what we're trying to do the game within the games. So. And, and our guys have stuck with it. And, you know, Louisville's got a great pitching staff. Uh, we knew, we knew they had a, a really good pitching staff. And, I, and I'll, I'll be hard pressed to say that we'll see, you know, caliber arms like that up and down, um, you know, throughout the year. But, you know, Elon's, Elon's got a really good pitching staff. And, and guys in our league have, you know, two or three arms that are really special. So, you know, it was kind of nice to get our guys out of our comfort zone of Louisville and then, you know, get into a little bit of a role going out to Cal State Fullerton and then playing well out there. Um, but I was just really pleased because it, it, up and down our lineup, we've had some guys in different spots and 
move the lineup around and try to get guys going and, and really try to get guys comfortable with, with the main objective of the last last seven eight games. You're playing a lot of young guys, obviously, in your in your starting lineup. Dabney's been good, as you mentioned, but you've got kind of contributions up and down from young guys, first-year players, second-year players. What's kind of been the most impressive thing to you about that, that some of these guys have come in and, and really, uh, you know, played played well in their first college, significant college action? you say, I know you guys thought not highly of the pitching staff going into the year. Did you think they'd be uh, kind of this good at this point? I know Kelly's got the ERA under one. Uh, you guys are like top 25 nationally in, in strikeouts per nine. Robertson already has five saves. And as you mentioned, Perkins was good the other day. Air's been good uh, this year. Uh, did you think it'd be kind of this this good this, this quickly? Well, yeah, I think what's fun to watch is watching how they each pull for one another and they're each like behind one another and then there's no, there's no panic in, in these guys, and that's what's so much, much fun to watch. And, and you know, and of course, we've made some mistakes throughout the year. It's not like it, we've been perfect, but uh, you know, by any means. But it's just fun to watch the camaraderie and how they, how they, how they pull for one another, and, and just the, just the looseness of the group and, and, and the leaders within the group too. It's, it, it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun for us to watch. And I tell you, I, I knew I knew we were pretty talented on the mound when we weren't hitting the ball very well, and I didn't know if it was because our hitters didn't swing it well or if our pitchers were that good. And I think it's I think I think it's probably the latter. Our pitchers, pitchers are pretty good, and, and our hitters are starting to swing it a little bit right now. So uh, you know, it's it's been I, I know I know the uh, the coaches out of Cal State Bulletin were were pretty were pretty impressed with the arms we ran out against them, and, and they were they were they were pleased, and they, and they were so hospitable. Uh, you know, hospitality towards us. It's, you know, when you go out there and you play a series where we quite frankly we didn't know each other. We the series kind of unfolded based on openings in the schedule and, and just us communicating. And then after going out there, um, I think it's going to be a every other year, every two year trip for us um, to go out there because of of the information we shared with each other and, and just you know the things we did on the baseball field. And that's what you want. You want to you want to put these guys in, in, in an environment where they're going to be tested and. And I think we did that this past weekend, and we did it when we went to Louisville. 
when you take away positives from series like that, series like the Louisville series, and uh, obviously you have some some other marquee opponents, non-conference coming up. I think UVA uh, a couple of times, Maryland. I think if if I'm not mistaken, uh, what does that kind of just do for your guys in the sense that maybe they know now you know you, you can play with anybody in the country. Well, I think you know when you play teams that are, 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 are have been to, to super regionals year in and year out, and have been to the World Series and been national champions, you know they do things, and, and you, it's really good for our our guys to see what how they go about their business. And then, you know, those parts, you know, the things that we teach, they do very well, and and, and it just shows it just shows hey the caliber of, of play that you know we're trying to, to do day in and day out to try to compete for a, a CAA championship and. And I think it's just fun for our guys to go watch other kids that they know nothing about. You know, none of our guys knew any of the guys on the, on the Cal State Fullerton team, which is, you know, that's, that's very rare when you're playing teams in, in your region. Um, so, you know, it was just kind of, it was just kind of fun to watch. And they exploited some of our weaknesses early, which is things we come back home and we work on. Gotcha. You, you got Fairfield tomorrow, Wednesday, but then you start uh, CAA play on, on Friday. I guess, what have you kind of learned most about your team uh, over these over these first, I guess, twenty non conference games or so before you start the uh, conference slate on Friday. Well, I think the biggest thing is we're very flexible on the mound and we're very flexible on the field. We can run different guys out, and I don't feel like we're you know we're we're, we're having to suffer in any 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 one position. And we have guys who can play multiple positions. I mean, Michael Morgan played second, first, and caught. You know, um, you look at you know our outfit. We've kind of rotated our outfit around a little bit. And, uh, you know, really, you guys just pull for one another and then they cheer for one another and, and they, 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 you know, they're, they're, they're like brothers and it's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of neat kind of watching them bond and in intense situations. We, I mean, the first two games at Cal State, um, Fullerton were, were intense, really, really good baseball games and just watching them kind of in the moment was, was a lot of fun for, for me and then for our staff and then, you know, coming back and, and now, now preparing for conference play and preparing for this week and just saying, hey, you know, not every day it's going to be 85 and sunny like it was this past weekend, but uh, uh, we just got to get back into, 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 our, into our comfort zone and then just do, do things we've been doing well all year. So, Marlon Eikenberry and James Madison Baseball at 14-6 now. Again, two, two today, and or one today, one tomorrow against Fairfield, and then they open a CAA slate against Delaware on Friday. We'll bring Shane back in a little bit. Uh, but now, when we talk, when we talk NCAA tournament and break down a little bit of the brackets for fun. Uh, but now we'll bring in sports editor Jim Sacco and prep writer Cody Elliott to talk a little bit about the spring sports that have started in the area. Before we get to that, though, Jim, I gotta ask: Are you settled? Are you all? Are you all moved in? Yeah, for the most part, we're still. You know, we're not living out of boxes. That's fine. But there's a lot of boxes uh, sitting around the house that I need to make my like my 55th and 56th trip to the the landfill. Which is, by the way, the Rockingham County landfill is like the Disney World of landfills, man. It's just it's it's incredible. <laughs> wide avenues, wide roads for the trucks. It's got this neon sign out front that has the hours and the American flag up there. It's it's a, I I I, I get a fast pass and go. Okay. Well now. I know one more thing than I did that I woke up this morning. I guess two, because now I know Mike Trout's getting $430 million. So a good day to be him as Over well. Over a dollar a second. That's great. <laughs> you get excited for landfills. Mike, Mike Trout gets excited for, for me. over a dollar a second, yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, let, let's, get, let's go from the JMU baseball to the high school baseball. 
in the Shenandoah district, and, and something I've noticed, I guess, early on, is that's going to be a pretty strong league, Cody. What what have kind of been your observations early on? I know you put together kind of the big previews of all the city-county teams, but as you look at East Rockingham and then all the teams that they'll match up with throughout the season, uh, that, that league's going to be pretty good, correct? Yeah, I mean, you look at it just in terms of what they accomplished last year. I mean, you had the, the Class 2 state champion in Page County and then the Class 1 state champion in Riverheads. And then you've got an East Rock team that's got a lot of um, experience. Um, you know, Dalton, Jefferson, Isaac, Kissling, those guys who have been very busy all year with, you know, three sports. But um, they've got a really experienced group there. They feel like they can make a run this year. And then you've got teams like Wilson Memorial, Storch Draft, um, you know, even like Buffalo Gap, um, teams that can, can get wins on any given night. And I think that's just – I mean, it's just going to be a brutal league to go through. Um, I think, you know, any team can really um, beat another one on any given night. And, you know, talking to a lot of the coaches, before the year, they've all pretty much made a point that whoever comes out of that district has a chance to go very far on a statewide level just because of how good that district is. And, you know, from top to bottom, it's it's really, really stacked. I mean, it's a really good district. The, the pitcher, T.R. Williams, he, he kind of came on the scene last year, Jim, right, uh, as, a, as a freshman and had this kind of great season where, where none of us saw it coming, obviously, uh, sitting here at the DNR. But uh, perform well and, and led Page County. Yeah, and I, I think it's only going to get stronger in his sophomore year. I mean, this kid is uh, committed to Virginia Tech, but you know, I'm no baseball scout. Uh, but I do believe if he continues on the pace he's going on, I think something bigger and better is going to come along. No disrespect to college baseball. They, or, they start or recruiting in college baseball super yeah. early. But I, I, I'm talking, I'm talking yeah. not college. I'm uh, talking the draft. Yeah, I, I think. You know, and I think the conversation with the the Shenandoah district, and while maybe you're very strong from top to bottom, I think it kind of begins and ends with Page County because there's a team that I believe is primed to repeat as state champions. I don't know what Virginia High, the team they beat in last year's state championship game, brings back. Uh, you know, Virginia High schools like Lebanon, a lot of those Region D schools out down in Southwest Virginia are very good baseball schools traditionally. I mean, you go back to J.J. Kelly that won, you know. Eight or nine state championships back in the day, and you got Virginia High, which I think is right up there with Turner Ashby in terms of how many state titles they won, which I think is at seven or eight. Uh, don't quote me on that, even though I did just quote myself. Uh, so I don't know what those other schools are bringing. We'll know as we get into the play- playoffs a few months away. Uh, but I, I think it's it, that that team led by Comer, you know, a, a very sage-like mind, uh, a former big leaguer who's got a World Series ring with the Detroit Tigers. Uh, I think you're looking at probably safe to say a repeat, and, and not to jump into softball at all here, but I think you might be looking at a repeat for Page County softball on that end as well in, in Class Two. Uh, you know, I don't know about the Class 1 schools. I mean, I'm not a big fan of Class 1 baseball. I'm just not. I, I think they need to be combined at 1 and 2. Uh, but that's another conversation we can have. Uh, but I, I think it, you know, every other team in that district is going to have a hard time walking away from a Page County game with a, a, a victory. And I'm not saying it's gonna. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. You just got to get them on a day when TR is not pitching. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I think that that's going to help. I mean, that's going to help. But don't forget, he could swing the bat too. That's true. That's so true. when he's not pitching, he can do damage at the plate, not just the mound. And and uh, you know, it, it's just it's a tough sell for me to if someone wants to tell me that Page County isn't going to win that district. It's a tough sell for me if someone's going to say Page County is not going to win the region. 
uh, you know, I'm not ready to listen. I'm, I'm not ready to listen to the salesman on the state title just yet. I think what's what's interesting with the you talked about the Page County softball team and the baseball team is you've both those programs obviously coming off state title wins, but they've both kind of come out the gate here in complete opposite fashion. Where the baseball team has just been, you know, racking it up at the plate. They've been putting on some strong performances. They're three, four, and zero now. And then the softball team has been a little slower. Um, they've lost to Madison County now twice. So it's been interesting to see how. You know, you've, you've got two state champions there, and they've kind of come out in just completely opposite fashions there in terms of kind of defending that crown. And obviously, it'll it'll really get interesting now as we get into district play over the next few weeks. It was the same last year, though, if I'm not mistaken. I believe Page County softball got off to a slow start. It was like this machine waking up. It was just this slow grind that eventually it was just, you know, every cylinder was just pumping by the time they started playing down in Blacksburg for the state, you know, quarters and semis. Uh, so I wouldn't be, you know, that, you know, that's... It's 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 interesting that it's almost like a mirror image of what we had last year in terms of how these two teams start and you know as we all know what the coaches like to say it's not how you start it's how you finish there's my cliche of the day market <laughs> that is correct uh, one team that finished well last year also finished well in pretty much ever all past recent years uh, TA baseball should they be good again Cody are you expecting good things from them as you kind of look Valley District TA baseball TA softball too correct well yeah I mean the baseball team is definitely a lot younger than they were last year they they lost a lot off the team that went to the state tournament but I think they feel pretty confident in that young talent and the ability to step up and kind of fill those voids um you know I think there's certainly if you you know you're talking the favorite in the Valley District I think they've got to be your favorite and then from there again it's kind of like the Shenandoah if you get out of the Valley in baseball and softball you have a good good chance of getting pretty far so um yeah I think the TA baseball team certainly is the favorite in the district there and then the softball team on the other hand returns quite a bit from a team that went to the quarterfinals last year they've got you know we've talked about Carly Davison or Carly Davis um Michaela Sizik two um division one players they've got a lot of sophomores now who played as freshmen last year on that team so they've got a lot of experience and you know, we talked last week. Clint Curry wasn't wasn't too thrilled with the way his team was. Uh, <laughs> have they have they picked it up? It's, well, they won their opener, um, and he, they won seven to one. And uh, you know, he seemed a little happier and in better spirits after that win. So, uh, yeah, I think they're they're obviously they're bound for a, a very deep run again. And you know, whether they can get to the state championship level, we'll have to see. I think what should excite Turner Ashby softball fans is, you know, let's be real here. I mean, that team was ahead of schedule last year. I mean, I don't think a lot of people outside the program expected that team to go to the state quarterfinals, right? Yes. Uh, where they lost to Liberty. I don't think uh, quarters or semis. I don't remember where they lost. Quarters and, uh, it was Lord Botetot they lost Lord, to. Lord Botetot? Okay. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I don't think people, you know, expected that team to make that kind of run just yet. Uh that bodes well for this year because I think obviously they're a year older, uh, obviously they're they're a little bit better, and what they have the benefit of doing this goes back to getting out of the Valley District in baseball. It's kind of the same in softball as well. I mean, you look at the Valley District and it's very very top heavy. When I'm with that, it's just top heavy with two teams that are going to pound each other. That's Turner Ashby and that's Broadway, and those Turner Ashby Broadway softball games are probably some of the best games to watch because it's just, I mean, it, it is just, it is it is a heated rivalry. Okay, this is something I asked Cody last week because we, we were talking a little Broadway TA uh, softball. Where does this rivalry stack up? The Broadway TA softball rivalry in terms of rivalries in this city-county area, in any sport, how how would you kind of put it? How would you assess it? It's my it's the number one in my opinion. For, for you, it's number one. Yeah, for me, Cody. What would you go? You went East Rock Spotswood football. 
or basketball? What'd you go? I, I think I did go football. I, I'm not sure. I, you know, I'd have to sit down and think about that. That's a good question. But yeah, it's up there. It's for sure. Yeah, this is, in my opinion, this, ten, this, ten this games. I covered this a couple of those. This is number the one. Last couple there's, of years. There, there's no comparison, in my opinion. You know, Becky uh, Cantrell and, and and Clint Curry at TA. You know, they're they're two very heated rivals. Intense <laughs> people. Yeah, very intense people. They they expect a lot out of their team. They get a lot out of their teams. And they expect a lot out of themselves. They get a lot out of themselves. And it's just, it's great high school sports when those two match up. It also helps that those two teams have elite pitchers in, in Sizzik and, and Hankins over, yeah. over at Broadway, who's, who's going to JMU, I believe. She's committed, She's yeah. She's committed, uh, committed. She's a sophomore. Sophomore, young. Yeah. But, but going to JMU. So I, when you get those kind of tense pitching matchups, you have naturally close games that are low scoring. Uh, that that makes it. That I think that adds to it. That adds to the intensity. I mean, because it adds to the frustration. I think if you can't get a hit, you know, I mean, what I think Hankins be a .78 ERA last year, 172 strikeouts, and you know, 38 hits allowed. I don't know Sizzik stats off the top of my head when she's in the circle. I believe. Let's get to that real quick. Uh, yeah, I mean. 2.06 ERA, a little higher on the ERA, but I mean she strike out 191 strikeouts, 91 hits allowed, and 143 innings pitched. When you're when you're playing one nothing, two one games, you're kind of hoping for the error to put you over the top. I mean that's you know that that just adds to the the intensity of the rivalry, and and that's and I think when we talk about if you get out of the Valley District in baseball. It's it's I think it's more so in softball, even though it's not as much as a murderer's row. I mean, it's more of a, it's a murderer's pair. You know, I mean, who's yeah. going to come out on top of these two? And and when those two teams meet in the Valley District Championship, which they usually are bound is bound going to happen. Great game. I you know if those I would love to see those two teams meet eventually in the regional championship. That'll be a great game. I mean, can you imagine Broadway against Turner Ashby? It, it, at Salem, at the Moyer Complex, place we packed for the Class Three State Softball Championship. Goodness gracious me, stick a fork in me, I'm done. You know, I, I mean, I'm that I, I'll get there four hours early just to watch everything. The pregame, watch them walk in, watch them warm up, watch them take BP. I mean, that would just be that's. I think that's a sports writer's and probably a Valley District softball fan's dream come true. Yeah, they 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 packed. I, I think I covered the game that was at TA last year, regular season game. And that place was packed, all lined up in the outfield with the cars parked around. I think people had the tailgates out. I was like, this is pretty impressive for high school softball. Uh, so good good rivalry there. And it helps for sure. And what helps with that rivalry is the fact that they, you have a top 25 soft collegiate softball team right here in between the two schools. And, and I, I don't, you know, I, I think that rivalry would still be pretty intense. If they weren't, if JMU wasn't as good as they are, but the fact that JMU's softball as good as it is, they're right in the middle and on, you know, fanning out on the wings on either side, Broadway to the north, Turner Ashby to the south, it just just adds to the atmosphere. Well, and think about all the local players JMU has too. Mm-hmm. You got Megan Good from down at Fort Defiance, who, you know, I don't know if it's this year, but at one point in her career was one considered one of the top players in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got. Kate Gordon, Page County, uh, road cap from TA, yeah, from TA. Uh, and you got Hankins committed, yeah. uh, who's at Broadway now. So you got local feel on that JMU team. So it's not just like it's the college program that's in the town; it's the college program that that uses some of the town to feed it. And I think that helps with the play. I mean, if if you got a if you want to be a collegiate softball player, you have 
what JMU in the middle does is opens up all these options. I mean, look at how many girls have gone to Elon. Uh, why? Because Elon's in the CAA, so Elon, and it's got a local, you know, Bocock oh is local, yep. mm -hmm. uh, who's the softball coach at, at Elon. So she's yeah. she jumps in to fight for this Valley talent with JMU, and it just, you know, so, I mean, it's just a showcase for these girls, you know, for three months a year uh, when they're playing for their, obviously with travel ball, but the three months a year they're playing for their high school teams, it's just, it's a showcase for them. That the you know, and you know they're doing everything they can to showcase their talent and it's great and it it just makes that rivalry that much better. Yeah, so I'm so I'm sure Cody, you've got that circled on the calendar, ready oh, to yeah. cover whenever <laughs> it happens. Uh, so of course, uh, you got that in the baseball, softball. One surprisingly, I guess, negative start. The SHS girls soccer team, correct, Cody? Yeah, just a little bit of a surprise. Um, they, I mean, they played a good Charlottesville team in the first game, and they lose four or five nothing there. And then um, a night later, a couple nights later, they lose again. So they've just kind of gotten off to a slow start. You know, they were a team. Both them and the, bo the boys both um, both made deep runs last year, and both kind of you know talking to them in the preseason, they kind of expected for the same. Um, so I think there's just a little bit of a slow start there. You know, it could be a Page County softball type situation where they get things turned around as the season progresses. Um, but that's just been something that's kind of stuck out in the soccer side where, you know, you've got a lot of younger teams in that district who are, you know, hungry to beat them. Um, and they've, they've, and they're, they've kind of shown that they're vulnerable a little bit, I guess, early, um, just with a couple of lopsided results, you know, and they've been on the bad end of that. But, uh, again, they, they, I think that's one of those things is we've, we've had one week of, of any kind of action in all the sports, so it's it's a little too early to put the put the pitchfork in anybody yet. <laughs> what what games you are you going to go see? Any games specifically this week? Any games you've got circled for this week? Yeah, I'm going to head out to uh, Page County on Thursday to check out. Um, there's actually a couple of good games over there, but I'm checking out the baseball game that night. Um, you know, defending champs and and East Rock has went ahead and you know they've proclaimed how much they want to make a run of their own. So this is kind of their their chance to you know at least show what they're what they're made of a little bit and see what they can do against you know the defending state champs. So. From an emotional standpoint, you really can't count East Rock out of this this Shenandoah District baseball race just because I mean, look at what kind of year it's been for East Rock and boys sports. I mean, you know the the football team state semifinals, the the boys basketball team state championship game they lose obviously. Uh, well, not obviously they lose, of course, as we you know I'm sure you obviously are you rooting against no, them, no. Jim? As, as I'm sure as, as you guys talked about last week when I was uh, gone. Uh, so I mean, why not? You know, why not? See, why not this baseball team go up there Thursday, uh, pull off the upset, give themselves uh, some good momentum, you know, to start the Shenandoah District slate and just kind of run from there. I mean, why not? I mean, uh, you look at that the East Rock baseball roster and you can look at about 10, 11 guys there that played either football or basketball. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's just been one of those years for East Rock athletics in general. I mean, they've, they've had the volleyball team did really well. The girls' basketball team made it to the regional tournament. I mean, they've just had, you know – it just seems like it's been one of those years for them. So it's like Jim said, I mean, who knows? I mean, why, why not? <laughs> so, of course, a busy slate on the high school level. Of course, you can follow along, dnronline.com, uh, or in the Daily News Record on every, every single day, uh, Monday through Saturday. Uh, so that's where you can follow on Cody's stuff, Jim's stuff, uh, Shane on the basketball, and now lacrosse. And, of course, spring football is ongoing for the Dukes as well. Uh, if you want to follow along with what Coach Kurt Signetti, new coach Kurt Signetti and company, are doing. So something a little different today we'll wrap up the podcast with. Uh, it's that time of year 
where people don't work on the Thursday for some reason because there's basketball games beginning at noon uh, and they just sit at a bar and watch basketball and drink beer or sit at home and drink beer. I don't think they sit at their desk and drink beer, but they'll sit in their sit at their desk and, and watch. Did you know that it is the it is the, uh, the it's the time where the highest rate of vasectomies happen? Well, yes. I've, I've heard that stat before. Yeah, because <laughs> at, at the Bristol shop, uh, they used to run a, a house ad, or not a house ad, excuse me, an ad in our paper during March Madness, or lead up to March Madness, from the local vasectomy place, which I didn't realize was a local vasectomy place, because three days of couch rest is uh, recommended after uh, getting a vasectomy, so a lot of guys get it done so they can sit down and watch college basketball and the tournament the first three days. At least, at least there's a plan there. <laughs> yeah, it's not, I mean, it's, yeah, it's not just uncomfortable. Un, I'm being uncomfortable for a reason. You exactly. Know? <laughs> I'm gonna sit down and watch some basketball for three days. <laughs> so, nonetheless, uh, the tournament actually starts tonight. You got the first four games uh, starting tonight. Uh, a couple of 16 seeds, and I believe the Belmont Temple game is tonight uh, in the in the 11 seeded game, and then. Uh, tomorrow, the 11 seeded game features St. John's, the Johnnies, uh, in Arizona State. So a little Big East action versus Pac-12 action tomorrow night to get the tournament started. But, of course, the real action starts Thursday uh, when you get into it. Uh, Shane, I, w- I want to start with you because uh, you've at least seen a team live that's going to be in the tournament uh, instead of us three just, just talking about teams we've watched on TV or just talking about teams we haven't seen all year. I've seen two. You've seen two. Okay, yes, so yeah. you've seen... I think at least two. You've yeah. seen... Okay, so you've seen... seen ODU. Old and, Dominion and, and Northeastern. Northeastern. Yeah. So let, let's, start, let's start with Northeastern in the CAA, keep it at least somewhat tied to, to what we cover here at the Daily News Record, and then we'll get into the in-state teams. So let's start with Northeastern. What do you like about uh, what the Huskies do and, and how they beat top-seeded Hofstra in the CAA championship uh, to get to the NCAA tournament? Well, I mean, the first thing about Northeastern that, you know, people who didn't follow the CAA closely all year like I needed to do um, might not realize that this was supposed to be one of the top mid-major teams in the country coming into the season, and they've had injuries starting in November pretty much all the way through February, and they're just starting to get to be the healthy roster that everybody was expecting. So um, actually had them as kind of one of my trendy upset picks. Even though that 413 game, there's a couple of those this year that a lot of people like, but go ahead. Yeah, uh, they're playing, uh, full disclosure, playing my alma mater, Kansas. Um, I I didn't like to see that because uh, I don't think it's a good matchup for Kansas the way they shoot three, the way um. Northeastern shoots threes. They've got veteran guards, uh, Vasa Pusika, the senior who was, you know, supposed to be a candidate for CAA Player of the Year coming in. And he, you know, was one of those guys who was hurt kind of in and out of the lineup all all year and was playing like a Player of the Year candidate there in the uh, CAA tournament. Um, they've got athletic wings who can shoot the three and some big guys who maybe aren't huge offensive threats, but they can guard you know, big guys from anywhere. It, it's it's a dangerous uh, matchup for Kansas. So you, are you nervous for Bill Self and, and company there at KU? A, a little bit, yeah. If I put my fan hat on, I am. Um, you know, because it's not the same kind of Kansas team that we've seen in the last, you know, five, six years where they've been a number one or two seed every every year. It's, it's not as good a team. And, you know, playing against a veteran mid-major, that's kind of the recipe for an upset. Okay, so that... Is your take on Northeastern and, and your alma mater? Yeah. Well, let's let's go to somebody else's alma mater, an in-state team, uh, Cody. 
Are you are you nervous? Because I, I know you're, you're kind of diehard hokey over here. Yeah, I, I, you know, my heart tells me that you know Justin Robinson's going to come back this week, and he's just going to he's going to look in you know as as best form, and they're going to return to the team that that was considered a top ten team at the beginning of the year. And then my mind tells me that it's going to be a little different than that. Um, you know, I like their first round matchup against St. Louis. I think that's a team that they are very capable of beating, but. Um, you know, after that, I'm not too sure about how far the Hokies can go, especially with, you know, the Buzz Williams to Texas A&M cloud kind of hanging over their head a little bit. Yeah, St. Louis coached by Travis Ford, uh, former coach at Oklahoma State, and they had to win the A-10 to get in. Uh, so, so interesting kind of dynamic there that they wouldn't have been in the tournament if they hadn't won uh, their league. Uh, so, so, so some, some interesting uh, kind of matchups there. What is a Billiken? I don't know what a Billiken is. I just know they are the Billikens. Okay. So because what it, there, I, I know what a but I know what Bud Billiken is. Uh, it was like this parade they put on in Chicago every year. It was called the Bud Billiken Parade, mm-hmm. and I don't, you know, I don't know if it's an offshoot of that. I don't know what is a Billiken. I don't know. They're they're relatively close. They're St. Louis and Chicago. Maybe maybe they're related. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they're, they're, the, their mascot is like this big. Billiken? Matt, like, furry. Well, he doesn't really have a furry face. <laughs> He's a weird-looking guy. He's a weird-looking guy, yeah. Okay, well, maybe it's like just that's maybe it's like some myth, mythological mid, mid, Midwestern creature that I know, know nothing of. Maybe so. Well, we can talk mascots for a minute if you want. Oh, please, what's, what's what's the favorite mascot for, for Jim Sacco in this in this tournament? All the Terriers. The Terriers? Wofford. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Wofford. <laughs> why, why are you a Wofford? And Wofford... Is going to go up against Seton Hall, yeah. the the pride of New Jersey, right there, yeah. uh, the Pirates. I got Wofford in my Final Four. And, and do you have a reason, or you just like the Terriers? Mike Smith. Mike Smith or Mike Young? Excuse Mike Young. Me. Okay, Who, Mike, Mike Young. Hands okay, down. you you like his style? You like him I just personally? Like my, I just Mike. I just like Mike Young. He's a he's an Emory and Henry guy. Uh, former point guard down there. He was an assistant coach down there. And according to a recent article by Tim Hayes, the Bristol Herald Courier, when he was a player down there, he loved Stevie Nicks, and he would sing Stevie Nicks songs on the bus. And, I mean, who doesn't love Stevie Nicks? I don't know. I know I'm old, okay? But when I was a kid, I mean, Stevie Nicks was the bomb, man. I mean, Stevie Nicks was, was like, wow, Stevie Nicks. And here's another reason why I like Mike Young. My last column, and my last shop was on someone he knew, and he sent me this really. It was a very, it was a very nice email he sent me, just saying, "Hey Jim, I appreciate that was a nice column on on Coach So and So. I appreciate it." And I emailed him back, "Well, thanks, Coach." And of course, I wasn't following any mid major, especially not SoCon basketball. Were you at the not time. following Wofford basketball? I wasn't following any college basketball okay. at the time. My response back to him was, "Thanks for the note and reading, Mike." How's the postseason treating you? I promise that's not snark if it didn't go well. I honestly don't know. This was sent on March 9, 2006. The very next day, he sent me back. <laughs> not worth a damn. Lost and we're done. Not sure there's a worse feeling in my coaching life. Hey, keep up the good work. <laughs> I, I, wait. I tweeted this out. I tweeted this out last week when they beat when they knocked out ETSU. I am viewing this email right now, so it is real. It no, is real. It really is real. And I was just like, okay, that's the man. It was we were just dying in the office because I showed it. I was like, well, that's the most awkward conversation I ever had with a college football. I mean, I had no idea. I mean, I deep down inside, I think Mike thinks that I was being the biggest jerk on. The face of the planet, you know, and, and but it's, I really I didn't know I don't follow SoCon I didn't follow I still don't follow SoCon basketball.
basketball. <laughs> well, they they got a they got a three point shooter. Just in case you aren't following them now and that's you're picking why. them, uh, Fletcher McGee, right? That's that's the three point shooter who can light it up. Apparently, like uh, Steph Curry. I was reading a couple stories on Seton Hall as they're getting ready to play Wofford. Uh, Seton Hall is a good three point shooter of their own in Miles Powell, uh, but Powell saying this kid this kid Fletcher McGee can light it up like Steph Curry. So I was pretty I was pretty taken back by that and a little nervous for the Hall. Uh, as, as they have a tough matchup uh, so that with is, Wofford. That is the first and only Wofford player that I know of now. Now you can root for him, Fletcher yeah, McGee. I'm going to root for him either way. <laughs> you know, just based on that awkward interaction. Hey, keep up the good work. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, is he, does he think I was being... I mean, it bothered me for like days. Did he really think I was being a jerk? Do I reply, oh no, I'm just going to let it go. Well, you know, maybe if uh, one of these ODAC coaches around here ever make it up to the big time... You can reach out to him again and let him let let, let his opinion uh, let, let get his opinion on what it takes to go from ODAC to D1. Uh, so well, that that story is definitely to be continued. Anyway, uh, to get back to the in-state teams, uh, Virginia, a top seed again. We all know what happened to the Cavaliers last year. Uh, Lou becoming the first top one seed to lose uh, to a 16 seed in, in UMBC. Uh, this year they get Gardner Webb. Uh, they're the top seed in the South region. Uh, Shane, do you think Virginia has a better shot this year? Are they primed uh, for, for a pretty deep run this year? How do you kind of look at Virginia as they go into a tournament after, uh, I guess you could call it the year after? I, I think they are. You know, they couldn't have responded to what happened last year any better coming back this year. I mean, you never know what when they see the NCAA tournament logo on the floor and stuff like that, if it's going to you know, spark something inside of them. But, you know, they have DeAndre Hunter this time around who was missing from the game last year. And obviously he's – I saw something today about mock draft. I had him in the top five. He's just kind of exploded, you know. Since then, um, he's the one guy who can kind of just take it and go to the rim anytime he wants that they were missing when they really needed a basket last year. So I think they're capable of a deep run. But, you know, we've seen this with coaches – so many years, they're always that coach who can't win in the you NCAA can't get over the hump until they are. You know, whether Jay Wright had that. Whether you're talking about you know Roy Williams, Bill Self, you know Lute Olson, 25 years ago, like they all had that. Yeah, Jay Wright. Um, until they get it done, there's there's always that you know that that thing that's kind of uh, hanging over them. Yeah, for for sure. So Virginia, they'll take on Gardner Webb, and they'll get the the winner if they move on after that game. They get the winner of Mississippi and Oklahoma, an interesting eight nine game. Now, something to watch in that Virginia Gardner Webb game is going to be the cheerleaders. Now, here's let me explain. <laughs> yeah, let me explain. Okay, in that UMBC game last year, I was watching it. I was off that night. I was at home watching that upset. And by the third quarter, those UMBC and UMBC cheerleaders, either they were tired or they were just, you know, sore or something, but they were, like, sitting down. But then each time UMBC scored, they slowly got up. And I'm not kidding. It was like watching 50-year-old men try to get up. I mean, it was like they had bad backs or something. They were struggling to get up. And they would get up, like, three seconds after each UMBC bucket. After the bucket, and they'd start doing their cheers, and, they, and then they'd go back and forth, and they're all kind of struggling to sit back down. They'd have to slowly get back up. Now... 
If those Gardner Webb cheerleaders are doing the same, UVA goes down again. It's just, it's just they don't expect to be getting up and down that often. That's that's was, the prem, That's is that the premise? That's yes. That's all I was watching that whole game. I I couldn't tell you who led the way for UMBC. I couldn't tell you what their jersey color was. I couldn't tell you anything. I just I was just enthralled by just those cheerleaders just slowly like oh we got to get up again and slowly getting up again with their backs aching and their knee joints killing them. All right, well, I have a theory on this then because this is going to be a much shorter bus ride for Gardner-Webb than it was for UMBC last year. So maybe their cheerleaders will be in better shape for getting up and down quickly. Okay, so yeah. I do, Okay, that was a long bus ride. You're yes. right. Okay, so that, 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 that's maybe what it was. Okay, we'll, we'll find out. These are, uh, these we'll, are we'll intangibles, guys. These are intangibles. <laughs> these are things Vegas certainly doesn't, <laughs> doesn't look at. Uh, that was an upset last year when, you, when UVA lost. Do you guys have an upset this year? Uh, are you guys looking at any upsets? Cody, any, uh, any upsets? Or uh, let's go to Shane first. Shane, any, any big-time upsets for you in this year's bracket? Well, I told you my um, Kansas Northeastern pick. Um, I'm not really uh optimistic about my home state in general because uc irvine with dean wade out for kansas state that's yeah, a really good problem it's a really good uc irvine team coached by roanoke native russ turner um i could see that one happening there um and i promise it's not just bias of teams that i've seen in person but odu's got what it takes to knock off a team i i'm not that i dislike what, Purdue. what I do you like about the ODU, odu team this year that you saw um They've got a pair of seven-footers who don't score a lot, but they really make an impact on defense. They've got a handful of major college transfers, including uh, B.J. Stiff, who started at UVA. Um, he can really score on the wing. They got they just got a lot of confidence in their uh, veteran players, and they've got a veteran coach. You know, Jeff Jones, he's won games in the NCAA tournament before. Um, to me, that's kind of like what you look for in one of those mid-major teams. My only thing with ODU is I – I don't dislike Purdue. I think Purdue's a team that you know could make a little run too. So they they got a tough matchup. But if they can get past the first round, I wouldn't be surprised if they're a Sweet Sixteen team. Cody, do you have an upset in mind? I mean, I think there's a couple ups. I think UC Irvine's a team that I could see making a run. But the matchup I'm most looking forward to is a five twelve matchup between uh, Murray State and Marquette. I think that's going to be a fun one. Um, I- I can't think of their names right now, but the two high-profile high scores. You got, you got Jay, Jay Morant, right? Yeah. And uh, Mar- Jamarcus Howard. Yes. Yeah, yeah and I, th- I just think that's that's a really, that could be a really fun first-round matchup, um, you know, one that could kind of stick out on that first-round slate. Bradley. Bradley. I'm going Bradley. Yes. He, he, I figured you, after the, the controversy at Bradley this past week, would, would be all against Bradley. Are you? Are, are, are you well, that's why I want Bradley to pull the upset, so no one asks a question. They just sit there in silence in the uh, in the media room because you know, you know that whole controversy. I'm kicking out the their longtime Peoria Journal star writer and and you know and the, the half butted apology that they gave and yada yada yada. And, and I know I know Wes Hewitt, the sports editor at the Peoria Star Journal, and he had a, you know that for him to have to deal with that is just bunk. You know, especially during this time of year when there should be a celebration of what Bradley's doing. This should be the greatest time for a mid-major athletic program. They should be rolling out Bradley the carpet should, for whoever Bradley, wants to exactly. come. Exactly, Bradley should be swinging those gates wide open, come in. So I want that's why I want Bradley to beat Michigan State in that first game because I want Bradley to go up there and not a single gosh dang person in that meeting room ask them a question. That'd be that'd be something else. I'm Italian. I know how to hold a grudge, man. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that'd be something. Um, teams you like that are kind of off the radar. I know this, with this, you seem like 
everybody I talked to is picking Duke, picking Kentucky, picking North Carolina, kind of your, your classic chalk teams, and especially this year with, with what Zion's doing and how veteran Carolina is and what they've got. But uh, any, any kind of off-the-radar teams that you guys like? I had Texas Tech in my Final Four. It, you know, they, that's a different team. Yeah, that's you know, different. Yeah. They tied for the Big 12 title, and, you know, they've got – a lot of talent. They're they're younger, but you know they were in the Elite Eight last year, um, and you know, Chris Beard's a really good coach. Yeah, well, I wonder how he, how long he, he stays in, in Lubbock. Yeah. Uh, one, a couple of teams that I like that that West region to me, uh, I think is a little messy because I don't know how strong Gonzaga is. I to be honest, I don't stay up till midnight watching Gonzaga basketball because <laughs> uh, I know they play at like 11 p.m. on ESPN two or U or whatever three yeah. three plus. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I know Mark Few does a good job, but I don't know how good they are. And I like Florida State a lot, uh, and I like Buffalo in that region a lot. I have Florida State getting to the Final Four, though, uh, from that region. So uh, just th- that, that West region to me is kind of the most interesting because I think the other ones, uh, the East, you got Duke, uh, which is, I think, I think if you pick Zion, you don't pick Zion, you're probably wrong at this point because he, he, he's kind of captivated college basketball. Uh, and then the Midwest, North Carolina is good. Just a general question for anybody here. I mean, do you, do you think America wants a Duke UVA championship game? I mean, seriously. Duke UVA? I think. Duke I think. The, I think. The, I think the nation wants Duke UNC. Really? Okay. You don't think they want to see Virginia in there going up against Duke for that? What? That the fourth time? Third time. Third time. I think either one of those ACC matchups, they would, you know, everybody in the country be talking about it. That would be exciting. I, I just think way. Duke UNC after that ACC semifinal game last week would just be, I mean, electric. I mean, that was yeah. that was one of the better games of the year. And then to, to throw that rivalry into a national championship game, I mean, jeez. You know, all the years they've been playing, Duke and Carolina have never met in the NCAA tournament, which is just absurd hmm. to me. I read that this yeah. morning. I, I couldn't I couldn't believe it when I read it. But they'd have to get to the championship to meet uh, in a tournament this year, you think all the NCAA tournaments they've been to, uh, both teams they've never met any, never met in a big dance. Really? Yeah, that's unbelievable. Yeah, it is. It is pretty crazy. You used to work a lot harder to keep teams from the same conference separated until they got until late rounds. Uh-huh. They don't do it as much anymore. I say they don't do it now any, as yeah. much anymore, right? Because a lot of these conferences have unbalanced scheduling during a regular season, so they don't care as much if they've only seen the team once, even though they play in the same league. Because I think there's a couple of Big Ten teams that have a chance to meet in the second round. Uh, but in yeah. t- like in years past, that wasn't the case. Uh, but now because I think what's it, Michigan State could meet somebody early, right? In yeah. Like Minnesota. I heard them talking about that on the radio yesterday, I think it was, that, yeah, Michigan State could play Minnesota in the second round, but they played Louisville once already too, and they played them both the same number of times. So it really doesn't matter that they're in the same conference. Yeah, so interesting. I, right. I work with a guy that actually liked the one shining moment song. <laughs> just, just fast back. I mean, he actually enjoyed it. I mean, like I think he bought the CD. <laughs> that, that's the, a little bit. The '80s version was much better than what they have now. And I just want to point out for all the all the kids on the street who listen that I'm the only one talking about Walford. Yeah, that's, you that's are. All I, gotta say. I, I like Buffalo a lot. There, there's a couple of reasons I like Buffalo. I like the coach, Nate Oates. I think he's good. That's a great coach name, It by is. The way. And he just signed a big extension to stay there, which was interesting. At Buffalo. Who wants to – I mean, I'm, just to live in Buffalo sound, doesn't sound good. <laughs> but uh, I guess maybe he's, he's in the snow. I mean, are people in the snow these days? I don't know. But he's got a good basketball team. They're veteran. Uh, and when I, I covered the NCAA tournament a few years ago when West Virginia played, they played Buffalo, and it was, one of, it was just a great game. I mean, and a fascinating game. West Virginia probably should have lost. 
Uh, but Buffalo played uh, played very well, and that was when Bobby Hurley was the coach there. Uh, now he's out at Arizona State. So anyway, I like Buffalo uh, to get to the, what do I have them, in the Elite Eight. I don't have them getting to the Final Four, but uh, getting them to the Elite Eight. So Jim likes Wofford. I like Buffalo as kind of sleeper teams. Shane uh, has given you a couple. Cody's just all in on Virginia Tech. No, totally in, man, totally in. <laughs> he, he, there's no other teams on the radar. He's got, a, you know, he, he's got this huge tat in his back. We went swimming once. Uh, we were doing, we, 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 we were at the, we were at the health club because we like to, we, you know, we both, you know, we, here's a little secret. Me and Cody work out a lot. Not together. We just, you know, I lift weights, as you can tell if you ever see me in person. I'm just huge. Oh, my God. And, and we were, we were, we were at the pool and when I couldn't, when I was like, hey, Cody, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just getting a few laps. Like, all right, and he jumps in the pool. He's got this huge Virginia Tech maroon orange hokey bird on his back, and it's just, it's, just, it's an incredible tat. Well, I don't know. Are you going the to the detail? Is, is exquisite, by the way. Oh. In that so, uh, Cody, I, do, I do not have a Virginia Tech tat scene. <laughs> all right, so anyway, uh, tattoos aside, well, let's get to the final four picks and wrap this up before it gets out of hand anymore. <laughs> Uh, Shane, give me your final four picks and your national champion. Okay, I had Duke, UVA, um, Texas Tech, and who did I have coming out of that other one? Oh, Kentucky. Okay. And I'm going to go with Duke as my national champions. Shane? Um, Cody. Uh, Cody, you are. It was bound to happen. It I've, uh, I've got Duke, Michigan, um, UVA, and UNC, and then I've got UNC beating Duke in the national championship. So. Okay. Jim? I got Walford, 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 and Walford. And Walford win the national championship. <laughs> a big believer in Mike Young. And as I pointed out a little earlier, I've got Duke, Florida State, North Carolina, and Villanova, Duke over UNC. Uh, I think this is the year they meet in the NCAA tournament. Uh, so I think that's enough NCAA tournament talk. Uh, we touched on your prep sports in the area. We talked a lot of JMU sports earlier, Shane and I. Uh, so it was it was a fun episode, fun edition of the Rocktown Sports Pod. We'll be back next week. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk some more WNIT if we have to, and we'll get to some more prep sports as, as the spring season goes along, maybe talk a little JMU spring football as well. Uh, so until next week, uh, for Jim, Cody, and Shane, uh, big thanks also to Marlon Eikenberry uh, for talking JMU baseball with us earlier. Uh, I am Greg Medea saying thanks for tuning in.